Okay, folks. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Sorry, I just have to make sure everything's on and working. Insha'Allah. Okay. Uh, just do a sound check, please. Just make sure everyone can hear me. Uh, okay, and uh, everything's coming through loud and clear. Someone give me a sound check, please. Jazakallah khair. Okay, Jazakallah Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala nabiyyina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in amma ba'd. So welcome to our second lesson um, of Quranic book question year three. And inshallah ta'ala, as, uh, as you now know, we're on Surah Al-Zalzala. In our tafsir, we started from Surah Nasr, we're working our way backwards. And just wanted to mention for those of you that are new to these lessons, maybe you weren't with us for the last couple of years, this is the first time that you're attending, then the whole idea of what our tafsir class is, what Quranic progression, our goal is, inshallah ta'ala, in these classes is to have a, uh, a very traditional, classical understanding of the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, using the methodology that the classical scholars of tafsir used to employ when it came to understanding the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and doing their tafsir. And that's something which we're very passionate about in these classes. It's a class which isn't just about the tafsir of the Qur'an in a very basic level. It's not just a class of, of contemplations. It is a class when we, where we go into a great deal of depth uh, concerning what the scholars brought and their different opinions. And we quote from as early as the companions of the Prophet wasallam, all the way through to the famous scholars of tafsir of the tabi'een and so on and so forth until you have the famous authors in this field of al-Tabari and al-Qurtubi and Ibn Kathir and al-Shawkani and Muhammad al-Amin al-Shawqiti and Ibn Atiyah amongst the many others alayhi muhammadullahi jami'an. So this is a class where we're just looking at, not only looking at the tafsir, but then we're also going on to uh, slight tangents in terms of methodology of tafsir, in terms of other Quranic sciences that are connected to the study of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's something which uh, anyone who's, who's passionate about studying Islam, uh, you need to be able to understand how the different sciences link together. Often you have a science, but that science has complementary sciences that surround it and are around it that help a person to understand what is a primary goal. So for example, our primary goal is to understand and study the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That science is called tafsir. But in order for you to do that and accomplish that, there are other sciences that help give you tools. So such as some of those sciences are like the principles of tafsir. Some of those sciences are like, for example, the science of qira'at. Some of them are, for example, the science of starting and stopping, al-waqfu wal-ibtida. Just as if you were passionate about fiqh, then you also need to have some understanding of usur al-fiqh and of qawaid al-fiqhiya and of maqasid al-shari'a. And if you're passionate in hadith, then you have to have some understanding of mustal al-hadith and ilm al-rijal and, and, and all of those other sciences that are related to the main science. And that's how our religion works, and that is how our religion has been codified. So our, inshallah ta'ala, goal is to understand the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the greatest level of depth that we can do. And why it's important for us to do it in this way is because in the English language, as many of you are aware, we have very few and limited resources. And the resources that we have are generally, for the large part, limited to, a, uh, to, the, to the basic understanding of the Qur'an. And no doubt, the basic understanding of the Qur'an is extremely important. That's the foundation that you build upon. But there isn't something that goes into a great deal of, of depth. 
Um, and so that's one of the reasons why we're doing it this way. So we started from uh, a couple of years ago, we started from Surah Nas. So we're going from in reverse order. We're starting from the end of the Quran and working our way backwards simply because it is uh, something which inshallah ta'ala most of us are more familiar with those surahs of the Quran the 30th juz generally is something that most of us will be more familiar with the surahs are shorter easier to memorize more often recited and read and so we're working our way backwards inshallah ta'ala in that way and this year the beginning of year three we are now at uh, surah zalzala so we've done approximately like some I think it's 15 odd surahs in the past two years which should in and of itself give you uh, an idea of the type of depth that we're going into because of the range of, um, because of, of how many surahs we've covered in a two-year odd period. So last week we began with the tafsir of Surah Zalzala. And Surah Zalzala, uh, we mentioned a number of things concerning it. Uh, one of the things that we mentioned was concerning the names that this surah is known by. And Surah Zalzal, as we mentioned, is known by a number of names, six different names that were given to it. Um, six different names that are mentioned in the books of, of Tafsir, in the various books of Tafsir. Either Zulzilat al-Ardu Zilzalaha, Either Zulzilat al-Ard, Either Zulzilat, Zulzilat. And then you have the two other names, those are four names. And then you have the two others, Zalzal and Zilzal. Six names that are mentioned in the various books of Tafsir. And we mentioned some of the hadith concerning this surah that the Prophet mentioned uh, from the hadith of the man who came and asked the Prophet to teach him something easy from the Quran. And so the Prophet after some toing and froing, he gave him surah al-zalzala. And from the hadith of the man who asked the Prophet or told the Prophet that he wanted to get married but he didn't have enough to give as a dowry to his prospective wife. And so the Prophet asked him to not memorize certain surahs of the Quran because they would act as a dowry if he taught those surahs to his future wife. And one of those surahs that he mentioned was Surah Zalzala. And then there are other hadith that, they, that have a weakness in his chain of narrations. And those are the ones that speak about Surah Zalzala being equal to half of the Quran or a quarter of the Quran. And that's something which we all covered uh, last week in some detail. This surah has eight verses. And I want to do something slightly different at the beginning of uh, of, of the of this of this lesson today, with our way of doing tafsir, I just want to try something slightly different. And what I want us to do is to look over um, Surah Zalzala, the first three or four verses. In fact, up to verse five, the first five verses of Surah Zalzala, and I want us to read them in Arabic. And I want to read them. And I want us to read the translation. If you don't have the translation, then you can open it up, uh, go to Quran.com, and just pick a translation. Uh, look at the translation and I want to just to spend a couple of minutes just pondering and reflecting over these verses and then I'm going to ask you to give me just from reading the Quran without knowing any tafsir without going through any detail without going through any depth one of the things that inshallah ta'ala I, I, I would like to do more of this year is to help us actually ourselves just try to start doing tafsir understanding how tafsir works one of the ways that we do that is that we try to look at what Allah Azza wa Jal is saying and to try to draw some very basic lessons just within the confines of the text so we're not going far we're not, unless you know a hadith that may be related or you're, you're sure of something else that may be relevant I'm not asking you to make stuff up but just based upon what Allah Azza wa says the translation that you have in front of you the knowledge that you may have concerning this surah or something which the Prophet said concerning this surah something related to this subject matter I want us just to look at what Allah Azza wa says and just to take some very easy lessons from it very simple lessons from 
this surah. So I'm going to give us all, and, and I'm going to do this as well, give us all a couple of minutes of just looking through these first five verses. Okay, let's start now. I'll time us, inshallah ta'ala, starting now, two minutes. And as you're getting this like now, inshallah, as you're thinking of stuff, just type it and just write it into me on the chat box for those of you that are on the portal. Just type it in. Um, in terms of just some some lessons, some points of benefits that we can take just from this um, this this these first few verses of Surah Zanzila. I'll start off myself by saying that one of the things that I take away from just reading the Arabic, just reading the translation. Is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that the day that this day of Zalzala is going to be a major event. It's not just going to be a normal day, it's not just going to be something which passes you by, it's not just going to be something which uh, you know which happens and you don't really notice what happens. It's going to be something which is major. And that's I take that not only from from uh, from what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, but the way that it's being said in the Arabic language, and that is that the way that Allah Azza is using very general terms and as we mentioned before when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses a general term or uses what is the the general noun to describe something it's because it is something major does it require Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to go into that type of detail Musarat said the first ayah mentions the quaking of the earth as the shaking of the earth is being described it is shaking us up a sort of awakening and that's a very good point because that will come later on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alludes to that point uh, later on in one of the verses in this surah as well. So that's a good point. I think also what's very interesting if you if we look at this inshallah as we go through it is the language that is used. So what we'll do in this surah slightly more than what we would usually do is maybe focus on the Arabic language and the words that are being used and the, the images that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to us as he describes the events of that day what it brings to our mind based upon the words that Allah Azza wa chooses. And as we know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, every single word in the Quran is there for a wisdom. And that wisdom is so that it brings us a benefit, it brings us a lesson, brings us something to reflect upon and ponder upon. And so that's also very interesting in this surah. Uh, Rashida says, it's a reminder that this is going to be a big day. So the question for us is, are we prepared? Or how can we prepare for this day? Uh, Owais said, are you going to mention that Imam al-Shafi said to Imam Ahmad's son, 
When Imam Shafi'i stayed over and didn't pray any qiyam, which surprised Imam Ahmad that he found a, a large number of fawaid in this surah. That uh, narration the Ruiz mentions, the narration is that, uh, and there's a difference of even the narrations, uh, one of the, or the one that, that uh, to my knowledge, is more well-known, the version that is more well-known and Allah knows best is, that Imam Shafi'i was once in Baghdad and he was visiting and so he stayed the night at Imam Ahmad rahimahullah's house. And Imam Ahmad used to have a great deal of love for Imam Shafi'i and, and he's a teacher of Imam Ahmad. Imam Shafi'i is considered to be one of the teachers of Imam Ahmad. And Imam Ahmad studied with Imam Shafi'i when Imam Shafi'i was relatively young in age. And there are narrations of how Imam Ahmad rahimahullah when he was in Mecca because that's where Imam Shafi'i is originally from when he was in Mecca and you had many other scholars in Mecca teaching at the same time in the Haram. He would leave all of the halaqat, leave all of their lessons, and he would find the lesson of Imam Shafi'i and study with them. And when some of his friends asked him why he would choose Imam Shafi'i's lessons, even though there were people who were older than him in age that were teaching, he would say, because what they have, Shafi'i has. And what Shafi'i has, they don't have. And so he had this amazing level of respect and love for between these two great imams. Imam, Ahmed, Imam Shafi'i said that I haven't left anyone behind me in Baghdad more knowledgeable than Imam Ahmad ta'ala. So they had that amazing type of bond. One of the, the story goes that Imam Shafi'i was staying one night with Imam Ahmad and Imam Ahmad asked one of his children, some narration say it was a son, some narration say it was a daughter, to get a bowl or a vessel of water ready for him so that he could use it for wudu. So that bowl of water was placed in the room of Imam Shafi'i where he was sleeping. And then in the morning when it was taken out to be emptied, the child, the son, the daughter, whoever it was, found that it was exactly the same, hadn't been used. And so they mentioned this to Imam Ahmad, they said, oh father, you you describe this man and you speak of him so highly, but it seems that he didn't even pray in the night, didn't even pray Qiyamul Layl, which shows you also how regular and how common a thing it was that the scholars of the past, Qiyamul Layl was something which was so uh, accepted as being the norm and, and was something which that they were so regular with that they found it disconcerting, they found it difficult, they found it strange that a scholar of the stature of Imam Shafi'i rahimahullah ta'ala wouldn't be standing the night in prayer. And so when Imam Ahmad rahimahullah asked Imam Shafi'i what he did that night, he said that he had a number of benefits that he took from them. The, the, the narration that I uh, am more familiar with is that he, he mentioned the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he said to the brother, the younger brother of Anas ibn Malik, Radiallahu an, the Prophet Sallallahu said to him when he had a pet bird that died, he said to him, Ya Aba Umir, ma fa'alan nughir. Oh Abu Umir, what happened to your young bird, your small bird, that your pet that died? He said that I took from this 70 odd benefits. But there may be other narrations to that as well. Allah Azza wa knows best. Uh, since you mentioned that, it would be nice if you could find, if you can, a, um, a reference for that and that would be beneficial for us all. Uh, Tikos, the surah, talks about a very frightful event and in the same surah it talks about people being brought forward for their good and bad deeds. It's as if we are being reminded of a very severe situation and is also directly linked to us and our actions to make us reflect and, and assess. And that's very good, but what you've done, Tikos, is you've gone through the whole surah. What I wanted us to do is limit ourselves to verse 1 and 5 because I want us to understand what Allah is saying before he mentions the issue of good deeds and bad deeds. The good deeds and bad deeds are mentioned at the very end of the surah. Look at how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala builds up a picture, builds up a whole scenario, builds up something within us before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us then what the answer is or what the, if you like, the um, you know the, 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 the result is or what the uh, the maqsad or the, or the point of the surah is towards the end 
of that particular chapter. Sumaira says, my initial thoughts, how everything surrenders to Allah's will, be how utterly insignificant mankind is, shocked at what is happening and why, the stable earth that they have trodden for years suddenly behaving differently because Allah told it to or inspired it to, see not even the stable earth is stable anymore, throwing out and exposing whatever we bury. Ambreen, the opening ayahs allude to the earth, bearing witness to the burden of the deeds of man. And Pfizer, Although we know that the Day of Judgment will happen, when it happens, it would be bigger than anything we have ever imagined. Or perhaps we are ignorant of it, or it will take the humans by surprise. So that's uh, that's very good, and I think it's something which is beneficial to do. Maybe we'll do, uh, if, you, if you like this, we'll do this more often, inshallah ta'ala, as we go through our surahs, and just take a, to pause a moment and to... Um, and to actually do this. And, and it's something which I find beneficial with, with some of our teachers. Uh, in, in, in Islamic sciences, there is something which they call taqweenul malaka, which is basically uh, roughly translated as developing an ability. Right. So anyone can read a book of tafsir. I mean, not, not, anyone can read a book of tafsir. Then there are people who can read and understand the tafsir. Because some people can read, but they don't really understand. Maybe a higher level up is then someone who can actually understand because they've studied the methodology and so on. And then there are people who go another level up, and that is being able to develop that ability to themselves. And that's what you find from the senior scholars of tafsir that are living today. There are scholars today who are still writing their own works of tafsir. Those scholars who write works of tafsir have developed within themselves that ability to make tafsir by benefiting from the scholars of the past, by learning, by understanding the methodology, by bringing all of those separate components together and making a whole and that's something which is interesting because you have it in fiqh so one of the purposes of learning fiqh and learning a madhab and studying in a systematic way is to have taqweenul malak al-fiqhiyya give you the ability to then take rulings and apply them to situations because what's mentioned in the book isn't necessarily what will happen to you but because you understand the principle and how it's applied and how it works now when you will dealt with situation x you understand from that principle, because you understood the principle that you learned and studied, how to apply to that situation. And that's what the scholars do, especially when it comes to uh, what is considered a new issue or something which never happened before, something, some technological advance or some banking or finance issue that needs and requires a new fatwa, a new ruling in our religion. Similarly, we have the same thing in, 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 in tafsir. That's not because tafsir will change. It's not because it needs new tafsir or whatever. But what it is, is it gives you the ability. And if you can master this, then taking what Allah has given to us in the Quran and applying it to the situation and, and making it relevant to people is something which is easier to do and better done because it is done in accordance to those principles and methodology of tafsir. And so some of the great scholars of tafsir that I uh, encountered in my studies and those that I benefited from, someone like Sheikh Mubakar al-Jazairi in Medina, someone like Sheikh Abdul Qadir, Shaybat al-Hamd, was from the students of Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala, and others that I found who were known and excelled in the field of tafsir, used to take the tafsir of the salaf, even if they didn't necessarily mention the names of the people in the books that they read from, and they would make it very relevant. They're, these two scholars especially, their lectures were more general, and were of a very like advanced level in the sense that they wouldn't go deep. But you find it's amazing the tafsir that they used to do, and that's deriving from the ability of making uh, of, of making tafsir. Uh, Riaz mentions ayah number three, the fact that man questions the earth indicates that it must be very significant as when earthquakes happen nowadays, it's not really questioned. 
Um, and that's a very good point because one of the things, if one interesting thing to do, uh, and I have an Al-Maghrib course where we do the signs of the day of judgment, but one interesting thing to do is to look at the pattern of the days of judgment, of the day of judgment, the signs, the pattern within the signs of Yom Al-Qiyamah and how they increase and how they get bigger and bigger and how they, they there's a whole science around this. So if you were to actually look at the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the signs of Yom Al-Qiyamah and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions how they develop over time in terms of frequency, in terms of, uh, of, of harsh reality, in terms of how big they become and how in some uh, cases they become extraordinary in terms of what the Prophet wasallam told us those signs comprise of, gives you a very good understanding of A, how big and major events will become, but B, at the same time, how, how uh, less the impact becomes on people. And that's what kind of like what Riyaz mentions that people become desensitized to such a, a, a level, and the iman becomes so weak and they become so distanced from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that even something which in our times we would consider to be extraordinary for those people is something which they pass by without reflecting upon at all. And it's already started to happen now. And Allah Azza wa knows best. And that's what happens when iman is removed from the equation. Ayah number four, that the earth will testify against us, the good and the bad. Ayah five, we may ask how Allah indicates that he has power over all things and will simply inspire it. Okay, jazakumullah khair. So in verse number one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, إِذَا زُلْزِلَةِ الْأَرْضُ زِلْزَادَهَا When the earth is shaken violently in its quaking. When the earth is shaken violently. The violently, and this is the, the translation of, of Professor Abdul Halim, uh, the violently comes from the word zilzal. The fact that Allah says, إِذَا زُلْزِلَةِ الْأَرْضِ The earth is shaking, meaning that there's an earthquake. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, زِلْزَالَهَا It is shaking in its shaking, meaning that it is shaking violently. And that addition at the end of zilzalaha. It's shaking, that makes it understood that it's a major type of earthquake, not like anything else that's been seen before, and that it's extremely violent and extremely harsh, shows us at the very beginning of this surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to understand the importance and the impact of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And it's similar to the statement that Allah Azza wa mentions at the beginning of Surah Al-Hajj, when he says, Ya ayyuhal nasu taqu rabbakum, O mankind, fear your Lord. Inna zalzalata sa'ati shay'un azim. For verily, the shaking of the hour, the earthquake of the hour, is a major event. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you take that verse and you also add it to this verse, because both of them are speaking about the same thing, and just be in slightly different ways, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that the impact that they will have will be major. And we will see this as we see some of the statements that are mentioned by some of the scholars of, of tafsir. Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah said in his uh, commentary on this verse, verse number one, he said that it will shake from its core and from its very depth. Uh, and I think what he means by that Allah Azza wa knows best is a, a, a few things. Number one is at the moment when we have an earthquake, it is limited to a certain, confined to a certain area, to a certain geographical space. You have, and it's not even necessarily a country if the country is big. If, for example, in, in the USA, there's an earthquake, it may be in California, it may be in San Francisco, it may be even just in a, a part of a city, and so it's limited. The rest of the country isn't necessarily affected. Yes, the surrounding areas may feel tremors, they may feel some of the after effects of those earthquakes, there may be mini earthquakes in other places, but generally the rest of the country is 
by far and large left untouched. Or even if it's a whole country because the country is small that is affected, but the surrounding area, the surrounding countries, the rest of that continent, for example, the rest of the world, isn't something which is affected. One of the things of it being of it coming from its very depth and its very core is that the whole earth is affected. And that's why Allah Azza wa says, إِذَا زُلْزِلَتِ الْأَرْضِ When the earth, meaning all of it, the whole earth, everything within it is shaken to its very core. Also from them, uh, from the benefits of the statement of Ibn Abbas anhuma, is that he says that it will come from its very depths, meaning that it will be extremely severe. And obviously this is at a time before uh, you know, we understood about uh, you know how to measure earthquakes and their impact, and we didn't have those types of measuring on the scales of magnitudes of earthquake and so on. Clearly, this is before that type of science was developed. But even amongst the companions of the Prophet وسلم, they understood the concept of an earthquake and damage that it brings, and then they understood the difference between what would be an everyday normal earthquake compared to what would be the earthquake that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala mentions on this day, and that is the day of. يوم القيامة إذا زلزلت الأرض زلزالها سعيد uh, one of the students of the of the companions he said that the earth was uh, that there was an earthquake during the time of Abdullah ibn Abbas رضي الله عنهما and so Abdullah uh, ibn Abbas رضي الله عنهما he commented and he said just speaking as if he's speaking to the earth he said what is wrong with you it's as if you are it is as if the yom, the day of judgment is about to be established one of the things that the companions of Allah when you when you look at these statements of theirs and how when something would happen that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Quran, especially of it being a sign of Yawm al-Qiyamah or, or something similar, a small event that took place in their life, they would relate and connect the two. And they would see uh, they would see the connection between those two things, or whether it's from a hadith of the Prophet, وسلم, they would see the connection between those two things. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them that ability and that's because of their level of iman. And it's as a result of someone who's constantly revising over the Qur'an and reading over the Qur'an and, and constantly renewing that knowledge because when you review, review the Qur'an over and over again with contemplation and with understanding, then what happens is it, it embeds itself within you. And I've seen that with some of the scholars that I've encountered that, that you find within them when something happens and everyone else is kind of just you know trying to explain it scientifically or logically or philosophically or whichever way that scholar because of their high their, their very close connection to the sources of our religion the Quran and the Sunnah they will make the connection to a hadith or a verse of the Quran and it may be something which we're all aware of right it's like something oh yeah yeah you know I, I know that and I that's something which I've come across as well and something which I remember but to make that connection at that time that is then a point of benefit and reflection for you that is something which is a higher level of knowledge and a higher level of iman al-imam al-tabari rahimahullah ta'ala muhammad ibn jarir al-tabari and for those of you who are, who are joining us for the first time last year we did a uh, a QP special, and a QP specials is when we go off on a tangent and we we study something related to tafsir, but not directly linked to uh, the surah that we're studying or the part of the Quran that we're we're currently studying. One of those QP specials that we did last year was the life and the methodology of this great scholar, Muhammad ibn Jarir al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala Abu Ja'far, uh, an amazing scholar as we learned from his biography in terms of not just being a master of tafsir, but also of qira'at, and also of history, and also of hadith, and also of fiqh, and so on. Uh, and and his, his tafsir is also amazing. He said, 
rahimahullah ta'ala in his tafsir idha zulzilatil ard meaning when the earth shakes for the for for yawmul qiyamah for the establishment of the hour uh, and the zilzal he says zilzal he says that it shows the power and the impact of the earthquake the word zilzal at the end shows the impact and the power of the earthquake that will will take place and he says that the word zilzal at the end has ha zilzalaha the ha at the end shows that it is the earth it is, is showing position that the earth possesses that type of shaking when the earth is shaken violently in its quaking meaning the earth quaking the ha at the end is the it in the translation that you have in front of you he said rahimahullah ta'ala that the reason that, that is done so allah azza wa didn't say for example idha zulzilat al ardu zilzal when the earth is shaken in a shaking he said in its shaking because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by, by making the earth possess the shaking in this manner in the way that it's done in the Arabic language he said number one it helps obviously because the rest of the verse also finishes in a very especially the first few verses they finish with the ha so it's done for poetic reasons but also it's done to show the impact of that earthquake and how severe it will be and the Arabs when they say that and they make it general is to show that it's at the very extreme the very heights so for example uh, they say in arabic lakrumannaka uh, karama i will show you generosity i will be generous to you generously they mention it twice right lakrumannak i will be generous to you karama generously they mention the noun at the end to show that there will be no bounds to my generosity i will be hospitable to you with hospitality the repetition is to show that there will be no bounds to my hospitality so when allah azawajal rep- repeats the same word twice because the word zulzila, zulzila means that the earth is shaking. It implies the earthquake. Why repeat zilzal then at the end? At-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala says, it shows that there will be no end to that earthquake, meaning that it will be extremely severe. It's something which will last and it was something which will be on a scale that has been seen before. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. And Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala said, uh, when the earth is shaken violently, he said that it will shake from its very depth and core, as is reported by upon Ibn Abbas. He said, and uh, he said, and he said that this will be at the blowing of the first trumpet. So, um, one of the things that we'll see is a difference of opinion among some of the scholars of tafsir now. In terms of when is this shaking of the earth? When is this earthquake? Is the earthquake a sign of Yom Al-Qiyamah? And this is something which we mentioned, if you remember, uh, very similarly to Surah Al-Qari'ah. When we did Qari'ah, we also mentioned this. Surah Al-Qari'ah, we, has, we said that some of the scholars of Tafsir said that the Qari'ah is a sign before. It's a, it, the crashing blow of the trumpet is something which comes before the Day of Judgment. Another said, no, it is a sign or a name of the Day of Judgment. It is the Day of Judgment itself. It occurs when Yom Al-Qiyamah is established by itself. Here we see something very similar. You will see amongst the scholars of Tafsir this, and it is a minute difference in the sense that the sign of the Day of Judgment is before the coming of the Day of Judgment. That's because we have a number of hadith of the Prophet wasallam, as we know, which the Prophet mentioned that from the signs of the Day of Judgment is an increase in earthquake. 
increase in frequency, but also an increase in magnitude, right? An increase in magnitude as well, and they become more frequent and frequent. That's why now we live in a time when we're almost kind of desensitized in the sense that, you know, that when an earthquake happens, it's something which is a fairly regular occurrence. Obviously, it is a difficult tragedy and, 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 and very hard for the people who suffer through it. But it's not something which if you hear now, you think, oh, that's, you know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, compare something like that to coronavirus. Corona now, because we've never heard of something like this in the world before, affect everyone. The whole world is is struggling to how to deal and cope with it. Whereas when you have natural disasters that occur across the world, from hurricanes to flooding to, to earthquakes, it is something which is normal enough now or regular enough now that people have learned to accept it as a part of their lives and even learn to mitigate some of those effects depending on which country a person comes from. So those two elements, one that it's mentioned as a sign of Yawm Al-Qiyam in a number of hadith, and number two that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala seems to imply though in the Quran, also that it will be from the Day of Judgment. Is Allah referring to it being a sign now, meaning occurring before Yawm Al-Qiyamah, or is this type of zalzala which is mentioned here and at the beginning of Surah Al-Hajj, is this the Day of Judgment itself? Imam Al-Qurtubi ta'ala mentions both of those views. He mentions both of those views, uh, both of those views in his in his tafsir. And Imam al-Shawkani, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, إِذَا زُلْزِلَةِ الْأَرْضُ زِلْزَالَهَا He said, when the earth will shake and it will be an extremely violent shaking. He said that this verse, verse number one, is the condition. When Allah Azza wa says, إِذَا, right, and, and I, we mentioned actually at the beginning of Surah al that one of the ways that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins a number of surahs in the Quran is with the word إِذَا who can tell me right, who can tell me now which other surahs of the Quran begin with إِذَا which other surahs of the Quran begin with إِذَا so I've already given you two right? because we're doing surah Zalzala and we also have surah Nasr إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ which other surah of the Quran begins with إِذَا yeah, Rashida, yeah, we had Nasr because I gave that to you, right? So I want the surah that I didn't tell you, right? Which surah is left? We have, إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ إِذَا زُلْزِلَةِ الْأَرْضُ زِلْزَالَهَا Is there another surah that begins with إِذَا? That's okay. Another surah that begins with إِذَا. إِذَا الشَّمْسُ كُوِّرَتْ Very good. التَّكْوِيرِ إِذَا الشَّمْسُ كُوِّرَتْ yeah, that's takwir. So Musarat Muniza, you got that one. What else? Which other surah? Al-Waqi'ah. Ida waqa'atil waqi'ah. Salih, very good. Ida waqa'atil waqi'ah. What else? Still a couple more left. Munafiqun, very good. Muhammad Salih. Ida ja'akal munafiqun. In Surah, um, in Surah, uh, sorry, in, in the 28th Jews, Surah Munafiqun. Rashida says, Tariq. Tariq doesn't begin with either though. What does Tariq begin with? Wassamai wa Tariq. Okay, Salih in Fitar, very good. Ida Samaun Fatarat. Not Shams though. Shams is with Shamsi wa Duhaha, right? In Fitar, Ida Samaun Fatarat. Munafiqun, we already have. In Shikak, very good, Riaz. Ida Samaun Shakat. So someone can now go back, uh, Hanifa Jazakallah khair. Someone can now go back and count how many those were. But 
But those are the surahs that begin with either. Either, as we said when we were going through it, and we went through this in detail when we spoke about the Jannusullahi wal Fath in year one. So if you need to go back to the notes, uh, which again, mashallah, the transcribing team has done a, an amazing job with, you can go onto the portal and check that out. We're not going to repeat that now. But either, as we said, is a condition. It means when, right? Either, uh, even though it's not the way that it's translated, or you know, it is translated like that, yeah, when. When the earth is shaken, right? So Imam al-Shawkani rahimahullah ta'ala says, when is a question, right? When something happens, then this will happen, right? You know, when I wake up in the morning, I have breakfast, right? When I, uh, I don't know, drive to work, I, I do something else. It's, it's, a, it's a conditional statement. When means that there is something that will come after it. In Arabic, it is called jawabu sharq, the answer to the condition. So what is the answer to this when? Imam al-Shawkani said, Allah Azza wa Jal, that is what he mentions in the next verse. It's in verse number four. That is the condition or the jawab of the shart. That is the answer to what Allah Azza wa Jal is saying. So in the first three verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions what will happen on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. When those things occur, what will happen then? That is the day that the earth will bring forth its news. That is what Imam al-Shawkani rahimahullah ta'ala mentions. And again, looking at, again, look at the Arabic and look at the language that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala employs within this surah. It's amazing. So this is what Imam al-Shawkani rahimahullah ta'ala says. And he also mentions another point which is also very interesting. And that is why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say that this earthquake is so severe? Why does Allah azawajal describe it in that way? What is the thamara, the benefit that we take from understanding this? He says that this is related to other verses of the Quran and other hadith of the Prophet wasallam, where we understand that when Yawm Al-Qiyamah takes place and when we have this, this uh, you know, the crashing blow, for example, of Al-Qari'ah and when we have this earthquake of Al-Ard, what will happen is everything upon the earth that we understood as being part of the earth, the surface of the earth, what we recognize as being the face of the earth will no longer be. That is when the mountains are taken away, right? And the buildings fall. And everything else that we understand as seeing upon the surface of the earth is no longer no longer remains from the trees, from the mountains, from the oceans, from everything. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will cause the earth to change. Allah says in the Quran, on the day that the earth and the heavens will change to a different heavens and earth. It's not what the way that we will recognize it. It's not something which we will see. So when we mention in, in, in Surah Al-Qari'ah, when Allah says, says, And the mountains will be turned into like cotton wool, right? into like tufts of wool that will just scatter. That takes place at the same time as this is what Imam al-Shawkani, rahimahullah ta'ala, says. He says, فَإِنَّهَا تَطَّرِبُ حَتَّى يَتَكَسَّرُ كُلُّ شَيْءٍ عَلِيهَا He said that the earth will shake and continue to shake with such uh, force and veracity that everything upon it will break. Nothing will remain. And that is part of this, st- this, this process of the earth shaking in preparation for Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Al-Imam Al-Mawardi rahimahullah ta'ala mentions the two opinions, uh, as, we, as we said, concerning this uh, day of judgment, whether it's something which takes place just before uh, Yawm Al-Qiyamah, is it from the signs of Yawm Al-Qiyamah, or is it Yawm Al-Qiyamah itself? Right? And he mentions both of them in his tafsir. The opinion of, of many of the scholars, though, seems to be that it is part of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Now, whether they mean by that that it's something which may happen just before 
but just before the, the blowing of the trumpet, which signals the actual day of judgment, or whether it's part of the blowing of the trumpet, I mean, Allah Azza wa blows the trumpet, then it's something which happens. Like I said before, it seems to be a very small uh, difference amongst them in terms of the exact timing. Is it just before? Because if it's just before, then technically it, it counts as one of the signs of Yom Al-Qiyamah. Or is it something which takes place at the striking of the hour? What seems uh, to be more apparent to me, and Allah Azza wa knows best, is that it's actually Yom Al-Qiyamah itself. That seems to be what the verses of the Qur'an imply. It seems to be what the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu implies. And it is the position of a number of the scholars with tafsir from them is uh, Shaykh uh, Ibn Sa'di, Rahimahullahu Ta'ala. Ibn Sa'di uh, says in his tafsir, Allah Azza wa tells us what will happen on the Day of Judgment. And on that day, the earth will shake and there will be a violent earthquake until everything upon it from, from any recognizable sign or building, all of it will be demolished. And so he says everything. Bina is a building. Alam is any type of visible sign, people that, that, that you recognize, a signal, a symbol. So for example, trees and, and other things that people would understand, mountains, things that people recognize where they live and where they happen to be on the face of the earth, all of that will be will be taken away. All of that will 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 leave, uh, will, will, will no longer remain. He continues and he says, so it's the mountains will disappear and the earth will become level. And as Allah Azza wa says in the Quran, uh, in Surah uh, in Surah Taha, لا ترى فيها عوجا ولا ولا أمتا قاعا صف صفا لا ترى فيها عوجا ولا أمتا. Allah Azza wa says everything will be level. You will see no mounds, no hills, no valleys. Everything becomes flat. Right? And we said before, I think, when we were speaking in Surah Al Qari'ah about the mountains and how they will change, that some of the scholars were of the opinion, uh, some of the some of the scholars were of the opinion that the reason or one of the reasons and one of the wisdoms behind the Sallallahu knows best of the earth becoming flat with no mountains, nothing high, no mounds, no hills, everything is exactly equal so that people will not be able to have higher positions than other people, so that people will not have any reason or any source of being arrogant or looking down upon others, or that it's not just the strong and the mighty and the rich and the powerful that find the high parts of the mountains and the others are at the bottom. Right? And that's because it is a natural inclination, it is a natural thing when people are being attacked or to get the high ground or when people want to show that they are stronger, that they get the higher parts. Right? That's why the best parts of the buildings normally are the penthouses, right? which are at the top. People just have this natural inclination. Even in the Quran, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Hud mentions the story of Nuh alayhi salam and, and, the, and the floods and the discourse that Nuh alayhi salam has with his son who refuses to embark upon the ship because he's a disbeliever, and Nuh salam says to him, come onto the ship so that you will be saved. He says, He says that I will go to the top of the highest mountain and that will save me from the flood water. So Nuh said, no one will be saved from Allah's command today except those that he showers his mercy upon. But it's that natural inclination again to go to somewhere high, to show that I, that I am higher. That is one of the greatest reasons one of the uh, one of the natural inclinations that Allah has placed within our hearts that when we beseech Allah and call upon Allah we always look up and our hearts yearn to what is above us in the heavens showing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above us and Allah knows best Hanifa Jazakallah khair seven surahs that begin with either surah waqi'a munafiqoon takweer infitar in shiqaq 
Zalzala and Nasr. So I think those are the seven. If there's any that we may have missed out, then please let us know. Um, so that's the seven that we have. I think we mentioned them anyway before when we did Surah Al-Nasr. It's always good to revise this type of knowledge and to understand it. Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shaqiti, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, or rather his student, Sheikh Atiyah Salim, because we mentioned the last few juz of, of his tafsir were, were completed by his student because the Sheikh himself passed away, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. Uh, but his student took from his from the Sheikh and from his teachings of tafsir. He says, Zalzala is, um, is not only an earthquake, but an earthquake that is severe and very quick. Meaning that it, that the earthquake, the, the frequency of the of the reverberations of the earth shaking is with extreme force and speed as well. Extreme force and speed. He says that is shown twice or two in two ways from the Arabic language. Number one, tikrarul huruf. In Arabic language, he said, because of the repetition of the letters in the word zilzal. He says, Rahimallah Ta'ala, and one of the things if you read his tafsir. And perhaps maybe this year, if we have time, or uh, at some point, inshallah, we will get through his methodology of tafsir. But if you read his works, one of the things that you are amazed by, considering that the Sheikh is someone who is relatively of uh, you know, is of recent times, didn't pass away too long ago. His his sons and his uh, his students are still alive and with us. Um, one of the things that's amazing about Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin, rahimahullah, his tafsir is his mastery of the Arabic language, and his understanding of Arabic poetry and literature and that's something which he really focuses on which you would find in the classical tafsirs of those scholars like Abu Hayyan and others Al-Andalusi who, 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 who focus their tafsir on the Arabic language and the eloquence of the Arabic language employed in the Quran and, and the way that the literary constructs of the Arabic language that's something which you find in those classical tafsir it's not something though which especially in our time scholars have focused on because that ability to master the Arabic language and understand it in terms of its poetry and so on, from you know all of the poetry before Islam, pre-Islamic poetry, then Islamic poetry and so on, is something which is difficult. But Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin Rahimahullah Ta'ala is someone who, who, who did this. And not only in his writing, he had memorized this stuff. So you can actually find, I think on YouTube as well, but you find old recordings, uh, audio recordings of the Sheikh teaching tafsir in the mosque of the Prophet وسلم, in Medina where he used to live. And, and they're probably like 50, 60 years old now. But he, in his reading, even in his tafsir, he'll be quoting poetry and he'll say the reason for this is because of that. It's amazing to see. It's, it's difficult to understand uh, because, you know, most of us don't have that kind of capacity for Arabic grammar and Arabic uh, poetry. But it's something amazing to see in the way that he does it. And it's mentioned not only in this work, but in his other works as well, Rahimallah Ta'ala. He says one of the things that they do in the Arabic language to show that something happens frequently and with force, something happens frequently, quickly and with force, is a repetition of letters in the word. So for example, the word for a bell that rings, a ringing bell, is sal sal. Sal sal, right? Sal sala, or sal, sal sala means a ring, right? A ringing, ringing bell. And that's why in the hadith in Al-Bukhari of Aisha radiallahu anha, when the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, or when she was asked to describe the revelation and how it would come to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Sometimes it comes to me mithra salatil jaras. It comes to me like the ringing of a bell, meaning that it's hard and it's and it's loud and it's fast." And the Prophet said in some of those narrations, and that is the most difficult of it upon me, meaning the most difficult form of receiving revelation. Because sometimes Jibreel would come in the form of a man, sometimes it's a dream, sometimes there's different ways that the prophets receive revelation. 
The most difficult is salah because it's heavy and it's fast and it's loud and it's hard. And then it continues until the Prophet understands what the revelation is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How do we understand the, 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 in the Arabic language, how is it depicted as being strong and forceful and, 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 and something which has a lot of force behind it? It is the repetition of the letters in the word. So Ash-Shaqiti rahimahullah ta'ala says that the word Zalzala follows that same format in Arabic. The fact that Zalam, Zailam, there's like two, the, the two letters are repeated twice, shows that it's something which is strong and shows that it is something which is which is going to be extremely difficult. And then he says, also because the word or the root word, the root verb of zilzal is zalla. Zalla yazillu. Zalla or, or, comes from fa'ala. Right? And fa'ala, which is the root word or the Arabic, anything that follows the root word of, of, of that, is something which also shows that it will be something which will come with a great deal of force, with a great deal of force. And then Imam Ta'ala he says, and then the scholars differ concerning whether it will be this, this earthquake before Yawm Al-Qiyamah, as a sign of Yawm Al-Qiyamah as we mentioned, or whether it's going to be something which, which will happen at the time of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And then he says, and what seems to be more apparent, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best, is that it will be something which will happen on the day of judgment. Because Allah Azzawajal says in Surah Al-Hajj, إِنَّ زَلْزَلَةَ السَّاعَةِ شَيْءٌ عَظِيمٌ the earthquake of the hour will be a major event. So Allah Azza wa Jalla describes it as being something which takes place on Yawm Al-Qiyam. And that's the position that he took, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala in verse number two, then says, وَخْرَجَتِ الْأَرْضُ أَثْقَالَهَا وَخْرَجَتِ الْأَرْضُ أَثْقَالَهَا This is also amazing in, in Arabic that, that, that is used. When the earth throws out its burdens, the word athqal is the plural of thaqil or thaqil. And thaqil means something which has a weight to it or a burden, right? Something which is heavy. The word for heavy in Arabic is thaqil. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the earth will throw out its burdens, Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala uh, mentions in, in his tafsir or one of his works, he has a, a nice image when he mentions how the earth and everything within it, right? Burdens down the earth, makes it heavy. So the people... The, the animals, the jinn, everything that takes place. He says that it's like with all everything that happens in terms of what people say, what people do, what people hear, the actions that they perform, the thoughts that they have, that they carry out then, all of the things that takes place in the earth and that has taken place since the time of our father, father Adam until the very last person that will live just before Yawm Al-Qiyamah makes the earth heavy. There is heaviness on top of it because of what who the people that are living upon the earth and work upon the earth and act, perform actions upon the earth and do what they do on the earth and the earth is heavy within it because of all of the deceased and the dead that are buried within its depths he says so the earth is heavy he says so it's like almost like a pregnant woman that carries and carries and she's in labor and as the time goes further and further along before the time of her uh, comes for her to give birth if her load becomes heavier that weight becomes heavier. It's more difficult to carry, more burdensome to have. Her movements become also more difficult. And so the earth also is similar to this, he says, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. And then on this day, on Yawm Al-Qiyam, as Allah Azza wa says, On this day, it is as if the earth will give birth. 
everything that was in it and was upon it, everything will be taken out. And Allah Azza wa will allow it not only to remove what was within from the deceased, because everyone will die, as we know, before Yom Al-Qiyamah, everyone dies, that the earth not only will remove everything that was in it and upon it, but at the same time that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that Allah Azza wa will give it the ability to speak about what took place upon it, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will mention, so that it can offload its burdens. And that in itself, that image that Allah, that Ibn Qayyim ta'ala gives, uh, in itself is a very powerful image that he mentions based upon these verses of the Qur'an. Ibn Abbas said that the burdens that he will throw out are the deceased within it. And this was also the opinion of Mujahid ta'ala. And Imam Thawri ta'ala, he said that it is whatever was within it. Whatever was within it, and on that day it will mention everything that took place upon it from good or from evil. From good and from evil it will speak about what took place upon it. Ibn Imam Al-Tabari Rahimahullah Ta'ala said, He said that he will take out from it every, uh, all of the deceased that were buried within it. And the dead person or the deceased person that is buried in the earth is a burden for the earth. It is a heaviness that is attached to the earth. And if the person is living upon it, they are also heavy upon the earth. So he mentions also something similar to what we mentioned that. The earth has two types of burdens, those that which is within it from the deceased and that which is upon it from those that are living still and are upon walking upon the face of the earth. Ibn Kathir ta'ala, also mentions that it is the deceased that is going to, uh, that, that Allah is speaking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, mentions this in the Quran in, in other verses such as in Surah Al-Inshiqaq, in verses 3 and 4, وَإِذَا الْأَرْضُ مُدَّتْ وَأَلْقَتْ مَا فِيهَا وَتَخَلَّتْ when the earth Allah says will throw out what was within it and it will remove everything that was within it. There are other scholars, however, that have another position and that is some of the scholars said that what is being referred to that the earth will remove its burdens is referring to the gold and silver within it, its treasures. That's what it will bring forth. And there is a hadith that is mentioned in Sahih Muslim of Abu Hurairah in which the Prophet mentioned this, not concerning necessarily uh, this surah, just as the general hadith, he mentioned that the earth will at a time take out everything within it from the signs of Yom Al-Qiyamah, from the silver and gold that it has within it, to the extent that a person will come who was a murderer, meaning he killed others for it, and he will say, this is what I am going to kill for, this is what I killed for. And the one who was murdered will say that it is because of this, or, sorry, the one who, who murdered because of it will say it is because of this wealth that I committed murder. And the one who broke his family ties of kinship will say it's because of this wealth that I broke the ties of my kinship. And the one who stole will say it is because of this that my hand was cut off because I stole from this wealth. The Prophet ﷺ said, and then none of them will take from it, meaning the murderer, the one who breaks their family ties, the one who, who steals, even though they wanted it, they will not be able to attain anything from it despite their troubles and despite what they went through. There are a hadith, therefore, that we see that from the signs of Yom Al-Qiyamah is that the earth will show some of its treasures. The Euphrates will show gold and so on and so on. There, there are a number of hadith that are mentioned in the sunnah. This is one of them. Is this what is being referred to? This is the opinion of some of the scholars. That this is what Allah Azza wa is referring to. So you can see here again that there seems to be some of the scholars who say that these verses speak more about the signs leading up to Yom Al-Qiyamah rather than uh, Yom Al-Qiyamah itself rather than the Day of Judgment itself, but the opinion of the majority, as we saw, even in the tafsir of this verse, Tabari ibn Kathir, others, or of the opinion that's referring to Yawm al-Qiyamah itself. 
So the afqal, the burden, is the people, right? And the jinn that are within it, that are buried within it or on it, and however they are, they are the ones that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to. And some of the scholars even combine between the two. And they say that it's possible that Allah is referring to all of these types of burdens, the burdens that the earth carries of the hidden treasures that it has within it, as well as the deceased that will be within it. And al-Sheikh al-Shanqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that, it, that he, he mentions a third opinion. He says the first opinion is that it's referring to the deceased in the earth. The second opinion is that it's referring to his treasures. He said that it is said by some of the scholars that it's referring to the news that the earth has, that the information that the earth has retained. Because whatever we do upon the earth, the earth becomes a witness. It knows what people did, where they walked, how they walked, what they said upon it, what actions they performed. That is something which is a burden for the earth that he keeps within it. So he mentions a third opinion in that regard. But then he says, but the strongest of those three opinions is the first. The strongest of those opinions is the first. And that is because the um, the treasures, as is mentioned in the Sunnah, will come out before Yom Al-Qiyamah. It's from the signs of the Day of Judgment. And the earth speaking about what took place and being a witness and giving testimony as to what took place upon it is something which happens after, after Yom Al-Qiyamah when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives it the ability to do so. And so therefore, he says that it's referring to the actual verse because it's referring to something that happens on at the time of the Day of Judgment is referring to the uh, the deceased that are buried within it. That is the burden that Allah Azza wa is referring to. And that's why um, in the Arabic language, sometimes what they do is that the Arabic language combines two things and gives it a single word, a single term that refers to two things. So for example, Al-Aswadan, right? You may have heard of this, Al-Aswadan in the books of Sunnah. What did the Prophet used to eat most times? As I mentioned in a number of hadith, what was his general staple diet? The two, literally translated, the two black things, Al-Aswadan. What is the two black things? Dates and water, right? Dates and water. Dates and water, water's not black. But because they would eat more dates, because that's the state, they, you would, they drink water just to quench their thirst. Their actual food is is dates. So the and dates, because they're normally black, dark in color, the two combined are called the two black things. That's something very common in the Arabic language. They say, for example, al-qamaran, the two moons. And what they mean by that is the sun and the moon, right? But they call it the qamaran. So the Arabic, uh, in Arabic, uh, they have these types of terms where they combine two things that are very close and similar together. And they give it one term to refer to both. There's probably like a fancy English English word for that that someone can tell me uh, how that works in the English language. But anyway, uh, the humans and the jinn together, what are they called? Who can tell me? This is an interesting question. So when Allah Azzawajal refers to them in the Quran, right? In the Quran, what are so what are the humans and the jinn? What is the single term that is used in the Arabic language? To refer to both of them, humans and jinn. Anyone tell me? You know, nas. Nas is humans. Nas is just mankind, people, not jinn. So when you add jinn to humans, what is the single word that refers to them? And it follows the same, you know, aswadan, qamaran, has alif and noon at the end. And it's actually a word mentioned in the Quran. Actually, has a word and let me give you another clue because uh, no inside. Very good. Solange, a thakalin, a thakalin. Right? Allah Azza wa mentions this in Surah 
Ar-Rahman, for example, Ayyuhat Thakalan, Sanafrugu lakum, Ayyuhat Thakalan. Thakalan in Arabic means humans and jinn. It's a single term referring to both of these species. Why, what does it mean, Thakalan? comes from the same word, uh, same root word as Athqal, same root word as um, as as uh, same root word as thaqil, which means the two heavy ones, right? The two weighty uh, species together are called thaqalan. Why? Ibn Jarir and Ar-Razi and others say because of the weight that they bring, their physical mass, but also the weight of their actions and what they leave behind, and that is what Allah Azza wa is also referring to. It's not just them, the physical mass of these two creations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but also the mass of their actions and their deeds and what they do upon the earth and that's why in Arabic they are called الثقلان, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best and with that we come to the end of the tafsir of the second verse of Surah Al-Zalzala and so inshallah I think we'll, that's a good place to stop for today's lesson uh, any questions inshallah we'll take them now uh, and next week, inshallah, we're still back at the same time, 8.30, and that's probably going to be the time that we're going to stick with, at least for the foreseeable future, until things, uh, you know, like, inshallah ta'ala, to some extent, open up back in the masajid and things. So at the moment, whilst we're online, it will still continue to be at um, 8.30, inshallah ta'ala. Rashid is asking, so none of the verses in the Qur'an that mention, Ya ayyuha nas, include the jinn? Um, not necessarily. They could include the jinn because the Qur'an... Is, was revealed to both of them, but that's like in Arabic when Allah Azza wa Jal, uh, speaks in the in the masculine form, it includes the feminine form as well. So it doesn't mean that they're not included. But I was referring to a term that actually, when Allah Azza wa Jal wants to speak to both creations and mention them, call them out specifically, there is a word in the Arabic language that allows this to happen. And sometimes Allah Azza wa Jal separates them when He needs to, because Allah is referring to one thing over the other, like in Surah Al-Araf, Ya Ma'ashar al-Jinni wal-Ins. Allah is calling them out separately. At the last verse of Surah Nas, Allah mentions them uh, separately. But sometimes Allah refers to them together as one, even though they are two different creations, but as one. And so from that is the verse in Surah Al-Rahman, سَنَفْرُغُ لَكُمْ أَيُّهَا الثَّقَلَانِ Anyone else? Any other questions? Okay, so if there's no other questions, inshallah ta'ala, then I think we will conclude for today's lesson. Jazakumullah khairan for attending. Barakallahu feekum. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.